You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. We stopped in uh, Romans 8, verse 4, last time, because uh, this contrast was coming up. Uh, of the flesh and the spirit and uh, I didn't want to go through uh, 5 through 11 in the same same sitting so uh, we'll, we'll start by re- reminding ourselves that the it starts with that phrase no condemnation it's no condemnation and it ends with no separation alright so this death that Adam had brought upon all humanity. Christ has removed for those who trust in him. Part of the gospel and things that we just keep saying over and over to remind ourselves that through the death of Christ, we become dead to the law of sin and death. Those who have trusted Christ are free from the law of the sin and of the death. And we are no longer in the body of Adam slash Moses. Well, they weren't. We never were anyway. But, well, Adam we were. But Moses, <laughs> yeah, not. But uh, you get what I'm saying. But we are in the body of Christ, all right? Uh, all that to say is that what the law could not do, God did. Salvation is the work of God, all right? Sentence was passed, and it was executed on the sin in Christ flesh on the cross and he condemned that sin so we move to uh, verses 5 and on here start at 5 we'll look 5 through 8 it says for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, as a reminder, the NIV translated this as sinful nature. Those who live according to the sinful nature is what it would say over and over. And therefore, obscuring the meaning and understanding, I believe. And while it may seem like I'm taking this a very different approach here from uh, to chapter seven and, and now here to eight, it isn't. A, a, it, it's not an obscure view, and it's not just my view uh, at all. So I just want to point that out. But the Apostle Paul has contrasted such things in other writings. Uh, Galatians 4.29, he writes that, But as at that time he 
who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. In that text, he's contrasting the old and new covenants. When Paul uh, says according to the flesh, he was talking about those who were members of the body of Adam or the body of Moses, which is the body of sin. And uh, contrasting when he says according to the spirit, those are who are members of the body of, of Christ. So according to the flesh, all right, it, it's as we've normally understood it, according to the flesh or sinful if it said sinful nature, na- nature, of course, we would understand it as a Christian doing sinful things. But if you look at according to the flesh, we would still say, well, I'm, I'm in the flesh. I'm acting in the flesh. This is of the flesh, right? Well, it's a <laughs> but it's not here. It's not a Christian doing sinful things. It's walking according to the old covenant or doing things on, on your own without the power of God. Right, doing works to try to obtain a righteous standing. It's relying on human merit for salvation. That's what I'm getting in the context of, of this letter. That the mindset on the flesh is focused on days, rituals, circumcision, feast festival, festivals, things of that those those natures. So Paul uses that same phrase. To, to explain the opposite of those who are according to the flesh. And it's according to the Spirit. So living according to the Spirit is trusting in Christ. So their mind's on Christ, what he has done for them. All right, so, so verse 6, it doesn't say it leads to death. It says it is death. It's not that they're gonna, going to die. They're dead. They're dead right then. They're dead right now. And as we've seen that those in the body of Adam slash Moses are in the body of death, right? The old covenant was administration of death, whereas the new covenant is life and peace. So it's much like in seven when we sit here in eight and go, those according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Uh, so there's this con- there's this constant battle in you all the time of flesh versus spirit, flesh versus spirit. But it says here, this is death. It's death, <laughs> right? You're hostile to God. You're not submitting, right? How's that a Christian? If we were to use flesh in the way that we know, ha- have been accustomed to using the flesh, we could then say, well. I, I sinned, okay, I did this thing that was fleshly. It convicted me so much because of the Holy Spirit was showing, you know, showing me uh, the, the errors of my ways and how it was sinful, and I repented, all right? You wouldn't be hostile towards God. You wouldn't be angry or want to object to God. That's the way I see this. All right, so Paul wants the believers in Rome to understand that being in Adam, being in Moses, in the flesh, is to be incapable of pleasing God. So again, it's your own merit, right? Doing things you're, you're on your own. And Paul had come to understand that his sincerity uh, in keeping this, the highest ideals and practices of Judaism had not changed his state of being in Adam, 
or Moses. So in the statement, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God is, is this definition of total depravity. All right. And when you talk about the depravity of man, you're talking about an utter inability of the unredeemed to do anything that pleases God. So this flesh-spirit contrast, you could say this is a, a, a unbeliever-believer contrast that's happening in Romans 8. Verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now the you is emphatic here. Paul assures them that they are not in the flesh but are in the spirit, meaning they're in Christ. And one common characteristic that's true of all Christians here is the fact that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We don't need to talk about receiving the Holy Spirit because every believer has received Him. And Paul says here, if you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit indwells you. So you don't need the baptism of the Spirit. Here it says, if you are a Christian, He is in you. And I'll point out here as well that the ifs, the word, the word if here is actually since. Since Christ is in you. Since the Spirit, all right? And verse 10 literally reads, if Christ, or since Christ is in you all, plural, in you all, which is not the type of language that is used of the individual, right? It's you is plural. I was talking about that yesterday. It's y'all. Paul does not say your bodies are dead, but the body singular is dead. So he's got Christ is in you all. And then he says the, the body is dead. Paul's primary thought then is not of the individual bodies of at all here, but of the corporate nature here in which we've already seen uh, that's that's either in Adam or in Christ. So the body is singular here. It's a reference to the body of Moses, which is the part of the body of Adam. It was dead in that it was separated from the presence of God. Now, during this transition period, all right, believing Israelites, they were not yet free from that body of death. They were free from the law of the sin and death, but the body of Moses was still dead, awaiting this, res uh, like a resurrection, if you will. Right, it's the same. It's the same as the body of the, of this death in seven twenty four. So verses ten and eleven is saying that believers will be raised from the dead through the life giving Spirit on the basis of covenant faithfulness of God. All right, of God, and this all seems to be very in line with Ezekiel in that whole the Valley of Dry Bones, right? 37 and 14, it says, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. So because Jesus has been raised from the dead by the spirit, they'll be raised from the dead. 
and for us as well, so that's the promise of a future, a future resurrection in whichever way that you see resurrection on there. We won't go into that today. But the Spirit who raised up Christ raises them and us as well. The Holy Spirit who presently lives within us is a down payment. And that's a down payment on God's future deliverance to us and to into his presence uh, in, in eternity. So Paul says that the Spirit would give life, though, to them, to their mortal bodies. And it's, it's the first time Paul uses body in the plural here, okay? So mortals connected with the body of Adam, as opposed to the immortal body of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul, comparing two covenants... All right, the old and the new. He connects, he connects mortal with the old covenant, with the body of Moses. And the old covenant community was born in the body of Adam. So the mortal body is this body of Adam. And Paul spoke of this in the singular, but now he speaks of it plural, referring to individuals who are in the Adam Moses body but who have trusted in Christ therefore they individually will be raised into the corporate body of Christ does that make sense there's a lot of Adam Moses <laughs> so Paul uses mortal bodies here because his focus is no longer on just a, a, corp, a, a corporate in the experience of resurrection because this takes place of each believer individually Paul speaks of their common experience as members, right, uh, of one another as members of Christ because the Spirit dwells in them collectively as God's temple. 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will die live so paul has said that the believers are in the spirit not in the flesh therefore they have no obligation to the flesh and as we've seen paul is using flesh here as man in adam all right an unbeliever unregenerate man here because it's really <laughs> he just said you know what i mean like uh, let me look do do He, he just told them, you're in Christ. You're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. Right? So we're debtors, not to that flesh. Right? To live according to it. So instead of the for if you live, uh, you know, for if, if you do, you would live. But if or since, since the Spirit, you put... I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking out loud now. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, I'm just seeing how it could be so confusing if you just like have an individual mindset that's focused on you and you alone when you read these, these texts. So he, he's arguing that, that here that flesh is an unbeliever because the church is the redeemed community. And the church, her ultimate deliverance is certain. She has no re reason to live as though she's part of a body of sin. 
that, that would, would live a ring in the kingdom of darkness. She no longer has an obligation to the old covenant or the written code. She doesn't have to keep Sabbath. The, the, the boys don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to abstain from certain foods or worship on, on certain days. And, 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 and so he's saying, don't, don't go back to the old in 13, right? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put these, thi these things are dead now. So he, he's, he's telling these, believe, these believing Jews that they're not to put themselves under the law now that they are part of the body of Christ. And I, I think that's what he's saying in our next, our next text, and it's with just a little bit more, more strength, that putting to death the deeds of the body is not um, living uh, uh, according to old covenant rules. Like, stop walking according to the written code. Because in 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the image of being led by the Spirit is, is taken from the Exodus. This is imagery from the Exodus in that wilderness uh, time of Israel where Israel was led by the, the clouds and the pillar of cloud and fire, right? So we could say the Spirit leads God's children, his sons, out from under the law, and he does this by leading them to faith in Jesus. And because of that, he's leading them to this new Jerusalem. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So Israel is God's son. Jesus is God's son, right? That's what, how we see scripture interpreted later. So Jesus is the true Israel and all whom, whom are in him are God's sons. So the emphasis here is on their freedom from their former slavery. It's just like the Exodus. This is the second Exodus. They're no longer under bondage to the law. So as long as one remains under this, that iron hand of the law, as the means to righteousness, he will remain enslaved to it. And it, it, it ends in death. We can hear Moses saying the same thing to the Jews. As they panicked in the wilderness, they wanted to return to the comfort and the security of Egypt. <laughs> they were slaves and they wanted to return to the comfort and security. He's contrasting the fear of a slave with the affection of a son. But you have received a spirit of adoption of sons. All right, the, the, the word adoption is takes two words, puts them together. It takes sons and the word placing. All right, so that we may take it as signifying the act of placing the sons of God in the position uh, appropriate to that high and holy relationship. Okay, 16 and 17. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
So what does the Spirit testify? That we are children of God. I believe he does this. He he gives us faith. He gives us the ability to trust in God and his word, to to depend on him. And as our new father, we look to him to meet our every need. Because we are his sons, we are his heirs. And in the first testament, God promised to give the land to Israel, right, as an inheritance. So as you move from the first testament into the the second, the promise no longer focuses on that physical land of Israel, but on the kingdom of God. So, and that's keeping with the fact that the sonship has transferred from the physical descendants of Abraham to spiritual descendants, right? To the, his actual, the seed, which is Jesus and all who would be in him. And Paul asserts that believers have inherited the promises of Abraham, according to Galatians 3, 29, when he says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So Paul is saying, just as, as surely as they share his sufferings, his persecution, that they share his glory as well. And he reminds them their suffering is vital evidence that they are part of the body of Christ and that they have, have left the uh, acceptance and the, excu- the security of the world as they now go into this journey towards their inheritance. And so what that means today for us is that we've been adopted into God's family. We are his children. We're sons and daughters by faith in Jesus. And we're, we, we can be persecuted. And, and we think of that word persecution as actual being beaten, you know, being killed. But it, it can, there's many things happening, even, even locally right now with the coach going on who refuses to let the, 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 young, the girl into the boy's locker room. He's been suspended from his job and because of that, because he won't, uh, he's not, he won't follow man's law on that. Right? He says, no, that's not right. I'm not going to do it. And he is a, 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 a Christian as well. There's persecution there. That's persecution. Uh, um, it takes many different forms. So in that, as part of the body of Christ, he, he, we, we can all share in that suffering, but we can also fight in that as well. But this is all part of the, this getting towards the, 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 the complete goal, if you will, the inheritance, which is eternal life and the glory of God in Christ, if, you know, if that makes sense. I think it does. But uh, it's not always just being you know, killed these sufferings. But anyway, we are God's family. We are corporately uh, in this body of Christ. And that's what this, this section is. It was contrasting those two. And that's what we will stop for today. Any questions, comments, disagreements? <laughs>